Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Talk Recorded live. Fragments of silicon where the wild things aren't. <laughs> everyone, and welcome to another installment of Fragments of Silicon, your weekly dose of uh, gaming, your, your vertical slice of gaming goodness and geek culture. Now, with me in the studio, as always, is Ogre. Every opening Gollips does is becoming more and more like actual radio talk show openings. <laughs> I, just assumed, uh, I just assumed he looked at his bookshelf. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Gallix. I'm here. Yeah. Of course you're here. You're the top of the show announcer now. <laughs> <laughs> and Petty Fan. Who may or may not exist. All right, so what's going on with you nubs this week? Uh, my glasses broke, then unbroke. <laughs> did they unbreak by themselves, or did you have to do something to them to make them unbreak? Uh, we had to pay money to make them unbreak. Oh, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his yeah. I had an old frame. Kind of an old frame, like you know, I've had them since like 2008 ish. Right. Like a really long time, and the bridge finally decided to break. Not cleanly while I was trying to adjust them on my face. That's not a good place to have your glasses break. Yeah, I had a pair. Well, luckily, it wasn't like something that it broke and then got shoved into my eye or anything, but not exactly the most structurally sound place for anything to break now, is it? Well, it's like if one of the arms breaks, you can kind of wear it anyway for a little while. Yeah. Or you can at least tape it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but... that. Went out the next day. Of course, this happened on a Monday and couldn't record because, one, Naka was tired from work, so he ain't coming over to get me. And two, I'm not legally allowed to drive without glasses. Mm. Like, it is hard enough, it's hard enough to see typing on Skype when I'm an arm's length away from my computer monitor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not hitting the stop signs properly. <laughs> yeah, I have that on my license. I'm not allowed to drive if I don't have my glasses. Yeah, it's class B, uh, B re- restriction, so. Yeah. I ain't fussing around with that one. Yeah. So, the recordings got delayed a bit, but. Well, I think can, we can bounce back from that. <laughs> it's like your glasses broke. I think that's a credible excuse for such things. Yeah. But uh, got them fixed the next day. Getting used to the new pair because the old pair I have was one of those like flexible frames. You know, you could like fall asleep in and you'd have no problem with them. Yeah. But this one's a little more rigid, so. Mm. I got those kind of frames. Gonna gonna be a bit before I get used to them, but like many things, you get used to it after so long. Yeah. I'm like, uh, anything else this week? Mm. No. Not really much. I'm assuming recordings are going fine despite our delay and everything. Well, I talked to Naka about that a couple of days ago, and they seem to be going. Like, well, going as far as he's almost happy we're almost done with Star Tropics. I, I know. It's like, if it hasn't been obvious to. Uh, Beforehand. He even put it in like the last video. The description is like, "I'm gonna stop with this because you know by now." 
he's like, Naka does not like Star Tropics. In fact, if he were doing this, uh, like, live, he would be raging quite often because, well, Star Tropics is a very difficult game. And they're in the later ch- since they're in the later chapters now, it's really kicking his ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since the game is loves the continuing is painful perspective, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really help. Yeah, but he mentioned if he wasn't if he couldn't use save states in the practice, he would have broken a controller over this game. Yeah. Also, I'm kind of happy that not a lot of people uh, that it seems like almost nobody is upset that Mac and Barry are doing Kirby's epic yarn. Oh, I was kind of particularly worried about that because it seems like something we would do, uh-huh. and we were planning to do for quite some time. But yeah. he said that, and I was like, "That's fine with me." So your Stark might help a little, but it's a cute enough game that he and Barry can do it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the only Kirby game he wants to do. Like he told me, he wants to do Kirby Triple Deluxe at some point. It's just, well, Naka's memory fails him again because he keeps forgetting to buy the game. It's lovable sometimes, almost <laughs> like a sitcom character in some perspectives. <laughs> That's it. It's like he, he mentions, I can't even buy the game. I even have this Walmart gift card. Like, I, I will mention it constantly, and I say it honest to God that if breathing were automatic, he'd have died a long time ago from suffocation. <laughs> I believe it. Like, well, breathing semi-automatic. There's yeah. No reason to get in that complexity. But speaking of breathing, Gonda Gallix, who's also probably breathing. I am breathing. Ooh. Oh, I forgot for a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Well, on the advice of my fellow co-host persons, uh, I've been playing Castlevania 4 on the virtual console a little bit, so that's uh, pretty fun. Uh, it's my suggestion was to get a sense of humor, but then again, you're, this is me talking, so see, see, I have a sense face of, that on whatever. The problem is I have a sense of humor. It's just terrible, so I'd have to have the current one excised and then have a new one added, and that costs even more. Her I know, that's why I'm saying this is me we're talking about. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that's fun. It's certainly easier than the first ones were, but uh, it's still. I find myself, you know, you have to be very careful about getting hit in that game because you do not have a whole lot of life, and wall chicken does not grow on trees. <laughs> to mangle a metaphor. Um. And here's the thing: this is one of the easier Castlevania. Like, no, I know. But that's 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 kind of the thing. Even easy Castlevania is kind of painfully hard. Well, the thing is, like, like when the bar is set at the point that you're running into it with your with your waistline, it's not exactly saying much now, is there? And the thing is, a lot of the Metroidvanias, which are the ones I have more experience with, like Order of Ecclesia and stuff, while they start out really hard, they get easier once you get better equipment and get higher levels. Uh, and this one really doesn't. Yeah, well, that's because there are no RPG elements in this game. Right, so you just always have to be worried about, you know, crap, I took too many hits from that bat, and now I'm going to die next time I see a Mugman. Right. Uh, anyways, and I finished my Argyagam model today at the game store, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Other than that, not a whole heck of a lot going on. All right, uh, Petty Fan? Um, I've actually had a fairly productive week this week. I'm almost done building my tri-burning Gundam. I've made a few phone calls about getting my doctor and stuff changed. Mm-hmm. Got trash service put in my name now. A whole bunch of shit. Yeah. I think the only thing I didn't get taken care of this week was calling the student loan. Oh, okay. I mentioned that like a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just waiting for you and Galax to start up a Gundam figurine show. <laughs> Don't give us any ideas. Yeah, maybe something for down the line. The difference is that's that's a trickier thing to do without without having any budget. Well, it's more you kind of need a camera, you know. Yes. It's like so you can actually show the figure uh, figures off. That, yeah. 
are ways to do that even without a budget. Like, you know, we're, we're in the age of Twitch and, and YouTube mm-hmm. and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess it's my turn. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see. Now, in show news, uh, we, rec- we recorded the Tengami review on Sunday. That's up. Uh, you know, that's up on the website. That's uh, you know, iTunes and all that. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going. We, we're going on break in two weeks here. Right. Well, three shows, including this one. Now, uh, then you know, it's like. Also, of note, E3 is going to be during that uh, break time, so that's kind of one of the ter- determining factors. Yeah, better to. Uh, Cover E3. Uh, let's see. Personal news. Uh, getting the carpets cleaned around here on Friday. And once that's done, I can finally build the, the, the shit I need to build. Like, I've. Oh, did you finally get, you get your new frame? Or... Yeah, it's like I got my box frame. I got to build that. Uh, it's like I got, you know, I got the frame. I got the mattress. It's, you know, they're sitting in storage right now because I've been waiting on this other thing for for a bit of time. Also, uh, also my computer, my new computer chair, I got to build. I'm probably going to build that first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to get a new computer chair. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, my old one got really dented around the sides. It was because of uh, you know. What, the old desk I had had very pointed corners, and it would occasionally slam into those corners. And pleather doesn't hold up well under stress. No, no, no it gets it all not. jagged edges and bits. So I, I got rid of that uh, like a couple months ago, and I got a new chair. So just kind of all wait, you know, there's kind of a couple of building projects that's been waiting on some other shit, and hopefully I can finally get to, you know, building that. Outside of that, uh, nothing else comes to mind. So, I think that's about it for news this week. So, you know, merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion. And this week we are welcoming Ryan Olson of Monkey Paw Games. Hey there, everybody. How's it going? Uh, All right. Now, before we start, are you going to offer us any wishes? And if you do, are they going to turn out horribly? <laughs> you know, so so we've used all of our wishes on Twitter already. People ask about that just about like every day, and uh, <laughs> it, it never turns out well. So we'll, you know, if you want a wish, I'll see if I can find one. We might have one in the spare room in the janitor's closet, but uh, you know, that's the thing. We don't want a wish. Remember, the, the monkey paw wishes were cursed. Right. Yeah, it's probably better that way. Oh, but. That does beg the question, why monkey paw? That is a good question, and one that predates when I joined. I, I didn't have too many questions at the interview. I'm just like, hey, monkey paw games, you guys, you know, bring Tomba to the people. And they're like, yep. <laughs> so I, I didn't really, I, I didn't question the name. Um, I would guess it has something to do with, with um, you know, kind of the, the Japanese heritage that a lot of the company comes from. And, and it, we're, we're based in Japan as well as here in the States. So um, we we have kind of those both cultures going going at the same time there. And, and if you look at our portfolio, you'll notice like a, a bunch of these games are just straight up um, ports from from Japan without any translation. So I'm guessing that's where it's coming from. But uh, you know, that's just taking kind of a wild stab. Right. Uh, I, most people are just going to assume it's the Simpsons episode anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, n- nobody named Montgomery Burns works for us, so that's. Yeah, I-, I know the story is far older than The Simpsons. It's just as far as pop culture is concerned, they think Monkey Paw. They think The Simpsons episode. Yeah, probably. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm referencing something else that's referencing The Simpsons. Well, the funny thing is, like, even even that reference is getting kind of old now, too. Uh, I mean, The Simpsons have been going on forever, and and now, you know, you know, if somebody references that episode, they're in like a certain age group that you're like, hey, you know, you you probably saw that when it was on the air the first time. Right. Well, he's actually referencing. Yeah, he's referencing South Park. For those who don't know, (laughs) South Park's another show that's been on the air for a long while. But anyway, so how long have you been working at Monkey Paw? 
yeah, it was just like a, well, it's a little over a year now. So, um, oh, wow. like a year and a couple months. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you're new there. I am. Um, yeah, my my kind of gaming roots goes a lot farther than that. Um, I was in the games media for about five years, and then um, I did the whole mobile games thing for about two and a half before joining Monkey Paw. What attracted you to Monkey Paw? Um, so a number of things, and and you know a lot of it comes back to like these were a lot of the games that I grew up playing. And there's a, a very deep appreciation for that style and type of game that just don't get made anymore. And and knowing that Monkey Paw's mission is to, to find and uncover these games and then bring them out through digital distribution was like super awesome to me because I, everybody knows where you can get these old, old games and, and there's really no legal, easy way to do that, and, and at Monkey Paw, we're trying to do that, and, and there's an appetite for that, and, and we want to uh, be be the publisher that, that does that. Right, and uh, why the PlayStation Network? So, we have a really great relationship with Sony, and a lot of that has to do with, so so a lot of Monkey Paw is, is kind of wrangling and, and rounding up the rights to these old games. Mm-hmm. And just by nature of a lot of the games that we like to pursue and, and the fans that, that let us know what games to pursue, uh, that will also involve, you know, specific publishers or, or you know, platform holders. And, and Sony comes up, you know, more often than not for a lot of these games. And, and having that, that working relationship there has, has been really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Now, is, uh, is the thing you do a partnership with Sony? Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, it depends. So, mm-hmm. games like Class of Heroes, that's we work with Gaijin Works. They localize the game and then we publish it. Uh, um, things like our our PSN classics or PS1 classics, rather. I'm sorry. Um, those are more of a partnership with Sony, and then we work with them with the whole um, porting and whatnot to get it to work on the PlayStation networks. So, we'll we'll get the rights, and then they'll give it. You know, they'll take a look and see what's uh, kind of going on under the hood, and then give us an up or down to see if that will uh, you know be feasible in, in any reasonable time or or you know with, with available technology. All right. So you've actually got a wider berth than it uh, first appears. Like. You're not just classic games, right? Right, and and so yeah, so we we like to classic games is like a big chunk of what we do in, in most of our portfolio, to be honest. But then we we do like class of heroes, and and we had Burger Time World Tour for a while um, before the license to that expired, and and then now we're, we'll be working on Classic Heroes three with Gaijin Works again. So how did you uh, guys first hook up with uh, Gaijin Marks? Um, so the people in Japan uh, had a very long history, a, working, a, a good working relationship with, with Victor Ireland, who was part of Working Designs. <laughs> and um, when that company went away, he then formed Gaijin Works and, and just kind of uh, picked up the mantle of, of localizing games in a very um, – well done and very collector's edition-y way, that kind of makes sense. Well, yeah. Uh, well, long-time listeners of this show will know who Working Designs are, but for those who don't, Working Designs, they were kind of the first uh, the first niche localizer. They're, they're the first one that put on, like, all the uh, goodies you see in, like, at, you know, think like uh, Atlas of the 90s if I have to go with an analog here, like they had very fancy manuals. They had very, you know, um, finger puppets in some releases, cloth map, you know, all the ones who did the lunar with all the extras edition or. Yeah. 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 They did the, like, uh, like all the lunar console releases. Oh, and I'm specifically thinking of the, I think the silver star story. Yeah. Uh, like, and they were pretty well known for their eccentric, uh, both their translations, like, which actually caused a bit of contention. Like, some people didn't like the the comedy that was put in some of the releases. Um, the Lunar series comes to mind. Also, you know, it's like, 
Also, uh, working designs games used to take a very long time to come out due to various reasons. You know, they were a small company. They were they were the kind of guys who would delay a game just because the foil stamping wasn't on a manual. Yeah. And a lot, you know, a lot of companies have picked up uh, both what they did in the translating and both what and what they did with you know goodies when it comes to like releasing very niche Japanese games. You know, uh, uh, think Atlas, uh, Nisa, you know, and there's a few others. Well, Natsume, and so. I've noticed that not only have you been working with Gaijin Works, but you've got some of the old working designs translations there. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of that comes, you know, you know, Victor Ireland. He's still, you know, in charge of of Gaijin Works and and all that history and and kind of knowledge that he's built up over the years is you know, kind of continuing forward. And and like you mentioned, all those foils and and holograms that we put on manuals, we we still do that. And um, we just wrapped up uh, the. Uh, the uh, Class of Heroes 2G uh, physical release, and and you know that was a really big push for us to to get those beautiful manuals. And you know I know it sounds kind of weird, but you know just having those thick manuals and that explain things and and just high gloss, and then the individualized serial uh, serial the uh, holograms on there, just kind of makes it a, a very special um, package for people who are looking for that kind of level of attention to detail. Yeah, clearly I don't go for that kind of thing these days. But like back in the '90s, I you know I used to buy working design things, not just because I like the games, but because I like the packs. I like nifty things still. Yeah. Also, I I I played a lot of PC games back in the day, and you know PC game releases also had have that you know feely heritage, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but so, what determines a game that gets a physical release or not? Uh, nowadays, it's it's straight up fan demand. Um, everything it's kind of granted, given that we're going to release it digitally. Uh, but we really put it in our fans and our community's hands if they want to see a, a, a physical release of it. And the the genesis for that actually started with Kickstarter, and this was like way before Double Fine had their big success with uh, um, their adventure game, which turned into Broken Age. Um, but but we wanted to create a, a UMD of Class of Heroes 2 for the U.S. market, and Kickstarter was kind of new and interesting, and and again this was before me, um, but uh, you know that that didn't work, uh, and that bummed a lot of people out. But the interesting thing was is when we took a look at the backers and, and the people who were very vocal and, and still wanted this, there w- was enough demand to actually make a possibility. Now, there's only a few hundred of those in existence, um, but we still made it possible. And then with Class of Heroes 2G for the PlayStation 3, we did the same thing, except we didn't go to Kickstarter that time, but we found out just going directly to our fans and and getting a, a straight up presale was a, a kind of a better method for that. And, and same thing, a couple hundred of those exist, and people are super happy with them. Hmm. Well, uh, as far as that beckons question, is it even possible to do uh, like PSP releases anymore? Uh, yeah, I, I, Class of Heroes three is is going to be on the PSP. Oh, I mean like physical uh, UMD releases. That'll be up to the fans again. Um, I mean, it's it's possible to still print those, um, at least to my knowledge, um, okay. and that's kind of the plan that we have in place is, is doing, you know, giving the fans again the option to to voice their their support for one of these. Something kind of need of Sony because you'd think that they wouldn't be producing UMDs anymore. Yeah, you know, again, I'm I'm not too sure how that all works, but I know that's kind of our plan and and what we've uh, kind of put out there already that we're we're gonna see what the demand is for a physical release. And and Sony again, like they've been super supportive of releasing physical media, and and <laughs> you know, it it sounds kind of like a silly thing, but for us, it, it's like a a really big effort to do that. We're very very small team and and it takes coordination across the Pacific Ocean to get it all happen and done and um, you know having having Sony in our corner has been really awesome. Uh, 
Imagine. It's a nice change of pace from, like, when they launched the PSP nearly 10 years ago now. Like, you know, there were certain uh, games that remained, you know, Japan or Europe only because they didn't have enough content in them. But uh, anyway, uh, so you've mentioned Classic Heroes a bunch of times, but uh, what is that? You know, what, what is this series? Sure. Um, so a very high level, Class of Heroes is a um, grid-based dungeon-crawling RPG. And uh, you, you're a student at an academy, and basically your, your challenge is to survive this um, wilderness called the Labyrinth. And... Uh, you know, it's really hard, <laughs> and there's a bunch of different missions to, to get you through and, and pick up items and, and complete quests and, and meet new characters. Uh, but it's a turn-based RPG when you, when you get into an encounter, so um, it, it's kind of that exploration mechanic along with very um, traditional RPG in a very um, decidedly kind of working designs uh, style import. And how did uh, Monkey Paw first come across uh, Classic Heroes? Um, you know, again, that, that's a good question that, that I don't have an answer to because you know, it's kind of predated me. Um, but I imagine a lot of it uh, was just a conversation between us and Gaijinworks saying, like, hey, here's this really cool series out in Japan. Um, Atlas did release Class of Heroes 1 on PSP. I know that. And then uh, we took a look at Class of Heroes 2, and, and said, hey, this this is pretty cool, and, and there's a lot of new features that um, people would want to see, and then we just kind of went from there. And then uh, Class of Heroes 2, you know, we, we had enough support there to look at Class of Heroes 2G for the PlayStation 3. So what's the, outside of the obvious platform differences, what, what's the difference between uh, 2 and G? Yeah, so, well, Actually, one of the interesting things about the platform differences with, with 2G, we added the feature to control the, the, the whole game on your PlayStation 3 from your, your Vita, and that's a North American exclusive. Um, so you kind of have the second screen Wii U style thing going on, so that's a big thing. And then the um, kind of in terms of feature set, you know, more maps, more monsters, more music, um, you know, <laughs> higher resolution, and that's a big, big undertaking. Um, and just things like that, that, that kind of go around the game that just fill out the the, the edges a little more. All right. Well, before I continue on with this line of question, we have a question from the chat. Guest State wants to know, when are we getting LSD Dream Simulator as a PS1 import? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, that is one of the most requested games that we've had. Um, and so here's what I'll say about that, because I can't comment specifically on titles themselves, because we're always in talks with a lot of different people. And right. you just need to be patient with us. And, and that's kind of something from our uh, you know, Japanese offices. They're very patient with these negotiations, because it can take years for anything to shake out before you even start to get your first yes um, to even begin the process of boarding. So... You know, always hang on to hope, but I've got no specific information about you know LSD Dream Simulator, unfortunately, and and I know that's you know something people have been wanting to see. Okay, I, I admit I'm not too familiar with this particular game, but sounds interesting at the very least. Yeah, no, definitely check it out. You know, it'll it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Right. Anyway, getting back to Class of Heroes, uh, so what's what's been added in the new Class of Heroes three? So uh, there's not a whole lot of information that I have about it yet. Um, but it, it, if you look at the Japanese release, you'll kind of get a sense. Uh, I mean, some of the big changes there will be instead of starting from one academy, you have your choice of academy. And, and what's interesting there is it's not just like a, um, a visual change. It's actually setting your difficulty. So, so uh, that's kind of one interesting thing that we're doing there and um, you know what we'll have to kind of see as we go go along and, and uh, Gaijin Works gets a little further into the game and, and localizing it what what else we'll have in store because we, we could come up with new features and, and that's stuff I don't have information for right now well so does Gaijin Works 
do they do all the translating? Yeah, it's it's all the localization. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, that begs me uh, to another question. Now, what what is up with Tomba Two? In how, you mean like the 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 um. Well, like a lot of people I've seen are wondering why uh, the first Tomba was uh, translate, you know, uses the old translation, but Tomba Two is listed as an import. Yeah, so so that's that's an interesting case because Tomba Two is something that we've been trying to get out for years, and when we were working with the the technicians to figure out, you know, the best way to do this over the network, um, there were some problems with the North American port that just weren't able to get ironed out. And so we had a choice. Either keep delaying Tomba 2 in North America um, until that got figured out, or we could um, release the Japanese version. So we uh, released the Japanese version and then um, continue to work on, on getting the, the English translation out. And you know, that, that's something that we're still working on. And uh, we, we thought it was better just to kind of complete the, the Tomba set on the, uh, the PlayStation 1 classics rather than um, leave people hanging. And, and on our website, we have like a full guide, a translated guide that can get you through the entire game, complete with screenshots and everything, if you're having difficulty in any specific part. Right, because I remember playing Tomba to, uh, both Tomba games back in the day, and you, you do kind of need to know what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of text, and and you know, it was it was a tough choice to be honest to to say you know, you know that there's a lot of stuff that you need to kind of know, and and that that's when we decided to to make the guide and and help people as much as we could, um, and try not to leave people hanging wondering where Tomba Two was. And Gustav is asking, how come the uh, North American version of Tomba Two is on PSN in the EU? I suppose that begs the question: Do you guys do anything in Europe? Um, so we do, um, and and those two different countries have different requirements and things like that. It, I don't, I don't know the exact technical reason for that, but I, I just know there were some technical hangups that that barred us from doing it in North America. Okay. Well, there, there's your answer, folks. You know, it's like you know, I have a question. When you guys get the um, localization for Combat Two ready? Will people be able to just download that free if they already own it, or they have to buy it again? I mean, that's the plan. Um, and the the risk we run there too is the people who who like the import version. Um, but I think overall, the, the thinking is to just replace it with the North American uh, version once it's all ironed up. Mhm. Uh. So. Uh... What were, uh, are you still working on Summon Night? Uh, Summon Night Five, I believe. That is a Gaijin Works thing, and they are developing and publishing, uh, or localizing and publishing that. So, oh. um, anything uh, related to that, you'll have to, to ask Gaijin Works. Okay. Wow, I, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. We we always do stuff together, and and they just they wanted to to tackle this one, and you know it's it's great because um, digital distribution methods kind of allow for that, and and um, you know, we enjoy working with Gaijin Works very much, and, and uh, you know, it's going to always be cool to see them do their own stuff, too. Right. So, uh, what do you look for in classic or import games? Is there a certain set of criteria? Um, there's a loose criteria. So, there's always going to be, like, just the random weird gem from Japan that our team finds over there. They're like, oh, my gosh, you know, you guys, you need to play this. Like, it's, it's weird. Um, uh, Chowananki, or, you know, I'm, I'm such a gaijin, I can't pronounce this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that's, like, one of those, like, the Katsuge-style game that, you know, you just, you need to experience. <laughs> Nobody would ever ask for that. Um, but it's just so cool that you need to play it. Um, so that's one criteria. The other criteria is, is this a game that people have been asking for for like a super long time? And, and that's where you get to things like the Tombas and the Alundras and the um, Ark the Lads and things like that. Um, and then there are those just kind of uh, really fun games that have a few quirks to them. Um, 
but play really well still in today's age. And, and a few of those games would be like um, uh, Wolf Fang. That's kind of one of my personal favorites in our portfolio. Um, and then uh, the Fireman too, uh, Pete and Danny. <laughs> it's like you wouldn't expect a um, an action RPG about firemen to be interesting or fun, but it really is. It, it, it's, it's really well done. The gameplay holds up, and uh, it's a blast to play. I, I suppose so. I, I'm not overly familiar with either of those games. I, I not many people. Yeah, it, it, not many people are. Wolf Fang. There's like a few. There's like a prequel to that, and there's a sequel to it. But this one was interesting because it was an arcade game with branching, um, kind of like a multiple ending scenarios. That was, uh, you know, very new for the time. Um, Pete and Danny is is just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I could give you the synopsis, but you probably wouldn't believe me. <laughs> believe, uh, I could believe a lot if it comes from Japan. Oh, so here it is. Um, two firemen on Christmas Eve, no less, get a call at a, an amusement park that's burning down and must save everybody's lives. I'm not sure if that's more or less crazy than Burning Rangers. <laughs> yeah, it, there are some crazy enemies, and most of them are based on fire. So, like, think animatronic dinosaurs flaming on fire. Huh. Uh, now, w- w- do you only uh, go after, like, PlayStation games, or do you look for, like, arcade games and convert that to the PlayStation Network? Um, so, it, it, there's a lot of things that kind of go under the hood. If there's any sort of emulation support for it already, um, that's going to be a lot quicker and, and faster for us to get market than say something that um, hasn't been ported or the engine is is old and the code has been not kept very well and it's just kind of been degrading over time. So it really depends. I can imagine. So how do you market some of the uh, more obscure games like Hyper Crazy Climber, for example? You know, like like stuff like Tomba or Alundra that Niches they are, they are you know kind of well known. So, yeah. how, how do you get how do you get about with discoverability? You embrace the insanity of the title, <laughs> um, and it's it's the cool thing is is that we tend to pick games that still hold up well, so the gameplay is there. Um, but there are just like, these old quirks that many people aren't used to that. Um, that used to be pretty prominent in that era, you know, like the, the 32-bit or 16-bit era, and you just embrace it. And, and there's enough demand for that, those kind of quirky games that a lot of them, you just kind of, uh, they almost market themselves because they're just so unique and have, uh, have a quality that even games today don't have. Like uh, a good one that we haven't mentioned yet is the Desimon series. Uh, for those who don't know, the Desimon uh, franchise is kind of build-your-own shmup. Huh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. It, yep, and, and then there's a Desimon Kids too. So there, there's like the, the there's two of them out there, and and again, like build-your-own shmup. That, that's you know that's pretty cool, and, and something that I would want to check out, and makes it really easy to to market. I mean, if we want to talk about things that are no longer around, uh, there's the build-your-own-game kind of deal. Like, it wasn't just like Desimon, but there was like RPG Maker and Fighter Maker back in the day. And they were pretty neat stuff. Granted, uh, I, I guess you have actual tools these days like you know, Unity and Unreal and all that stuff. And I, don't A lot know, of those... I don't know how Mugen works, but that's for fighting games. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff, though, is that you still need a lot of technical knowledge, and, and like the Desimon games, you really don't. Um, it's a lot of drag and drop and, and just putting things in place that you'd want to play. So that that's, again, something you know interesting. Right. Uh, so uh, what can you tell us about Burger Time World? If so... Yeah, no. Um, I mean, the license ran out for the game, and that's kind of one of the, the the difficulties of working with these games that are either inspired by retro titles or direct ports of retro titles. Is that there's times where it's only so you only have so long with it, and the the hope going into these is that we'll always renew them. And 
you know, the games will keep living on. But there gets to be a point where either the cost of the license is, you know, more expensive than it is to, um, you know, and then, then people are buying it. Or it's just something as simple as the, the person who's holding the license says, you know, that was fun, but now it's time to, to focus on something else and, and um, you know, we're, we're not going to renew. So I don't know the specific case with Burger Time World Tour. Um mm-hmm. But it was, you know, it was unfortunate, and we don't like pulling down games because um, we fight so hard to to get them online through digital distribution. Right. Well, it's an issue that's especially poignant, like right now, given all the stuff that's going on with Konami and PT. Like, you know, people are starting to kind of wake up to the fact that digital distribution has its problems. Like, one of the biggest is. If a game vanishes from a storefront, it's gone. Oh, okay, usually you can re-download it if you bought it, but, you know, like, you can't get, like, say, Deadpool from Steam right now because the license expired. And while you can still, like, buy the physical CD if you can so find it. Um, granted, I don't think that, you know, physical media itself has its own problems. Like, it gets lost, it gets damaged. You know that kind of thing. There's no perfect solution for preservation. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's nice to see that there are people who are fighting to uh, chronicle these games and archive them. I mean, you know, for all the whining about digital distribution and you know the fragility of it, it's a lot easier to get classic games now than it was say even 10 years ago you know it's like you know for example the art the lad series you know like try getting that back try getting that like 10 years ago you would have to pay a lot of money to do that because well niche rpgs are very expensive especially if they're hard to get you know and it's nice that you can go and onto the PlayStation Network and, you know, buy these games. And I certainly hope to see more. So we're running a bit low on time, so just a couple more questions here. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about your future plans outside of Classic Heroes 3? Um, I, I mean, we'll, we're always taking a look at what other types of retro games, like... Um, Last year we did uh, the Rush for release six games, um, all retro um, Japanese imports. We're always looking to do stuff like that. Um, you know that, that that's very interesting to us and, and something where you know we've kind of carved our niche in there. Um, as well as just keep doing you know, the digital distribution and uh, any sort of physical packaging when there's the the fan and community demand for it. Mm. Are you also looking at, like, the newer Sony platformer, uh, the PlayStation 4 and the Vita? Yeah, well, so uh, with Vita stuff, you can download all of the PS1 classics to them, um, and they should play on the Vita as well as the PlayStation TV. So that's already covered. Um, and PlayStation 4, we'd love to do something there. Um, it's just I don't have any sort of um, scope or idea of a pipeline when we'd be moving to that. Uh, I, I think that's kind of incumbent on Sony because... Well, the, the PlayStation store, like the PlayStation classics, aren't incompatible with that uh, system. So uh, we'll see what the future holds. Anyway, Ryan, it was uh, certainly a pleasure to have you on our program, and hopefully, we'll have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. Love talking with you guys. Um, yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Yeah. So the company is Monkey Paw Games. They have a about, what, uh, 25 titles on the uh, PlayStation Network? Yeah, yeah, about two dozen. Yeah. Uh, they range the gamut from schmuffs like Desimon and Choaniki to RPGs, uh, Arc the Lad, Alundra, Class of Heroes. Uh, they're all, it's all good stuff. All right, Petty Fan, play us off. <laughs> Uh, so, welcome to the topic of discussion portion of our show. Uh, this week, we're talking about Konami because, well, we kind of have to talk about Konami. You know, 
been kind of putting this topic off for as long as possible because, well, Konami's just become the publisher to hate this year. This, and, and we did recently we did recently get kind of an explanation for some of their otherwise completely irrational seeming behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't call it an explanation. Well, well okay, so... Yeah. Well, the the explanation insofar as they're doing it on some of it on purpose because new CEO, other than just being that inept. Well, yes. Yeah. So some of the other part of it is because they're doing what everyone else, you know. These are the people who saw an overcrowded marketplace and said, me too. That's one of my favorite Certainly crowded. Well, that's what they're doing. They're going forth with this mobile first initiative. Like, they're considering themselves, or at least the digital entertainment arm, to be mobile first. And here's the thing. They're not unique in that situation. Square Enix is putting forth mobile first. Sega is putting forth mobile first. Like, everyone in their salt, uh, every Japanese developer worth their salt is rushing headfirst into mobiles, basically. Because, well, there's a lot of money in mobile. You know, mm-hmm. Especially in Japan. Like, Japan is the mother load of mobile gaming. You know, they, they were kind of uh, late to the party, but they've certainly made up ground. Like, they're the biggest mobile market in the world. And you, you have something like, you know, uh, Puzzles and Dragons, which makes, like, millions of dollars a day. And this is what this is what everyone's looking for. You know, even Nintendo has been forced to go to the mobile gold mine. It's just Nintendo, unlike everyone else, isn't prepared to sacrifice everything else for mobile. Right. They're not. They're not jumping in. All they're like stepping in one foot at a time. Whereas Konami, they're like, uh, you know, anything that they can't convert into a fucking Pepsi slot franchise, they're like, fuck it. And, and yeah, that, that's kind of the other thing. Konami's been appropriating their franchises and making uh, like uh, Pacino, Pacino uh, slot machines and all that stuff because they're in mechanical gaming as well. Not very well known in the video game side, but yeah, they make slot. I was surprised looking up uh, Castlevania stuff after last time's discussion, and there are apparently at least three Castlevania patch slot games, so go fig. Yeah, there's a contra. Uh, Ryan, th- you can participate in the discussion, but you don't have to. No. Uh, anyway, uh, so everyone's mad at Konami for a lot of reasons. It's not just the Mobile Force Initiative. It's all the all the shit that's going on with uh, Metal Gear. Like, you know... It has well, you have pretty much strong hints that are basically saying... Uh, the guy you like who does this stuff, he's out. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, the thing about Metal Gear is it's saying, well, we're not going to have Kojima anymore, but don't worry. We're still going to make more Metal Gear games. Now, granted, I do think Kojima you know, needs to get away from Metal Gear because he's been saying this is the last Metal Gear since Metal Gear Solid 2. Mm-hmm. You can really read into Metal Gear Solid 4 and kind of be like, yeah, he was kind of done with this for a while. They, they did kill off Solid Snake, so... Yeah, but the thing is... No, no, they killed off a snake. Yeah. They killed off Solid Snake. The problem is that his his dad is still around, and he's cooler anyway, sort of, sometimes. The, 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 the thing is, nobody wanted Metal Gear to end like this. No, nobody wanted Kojima basically forced out of the company I'm not saying that Metal Gear should have gone on forever. No. I, it's, it would be perfectly fine if Kojima wants to move on to something else. The thing is, you don't keep doing Metal Gear anyway without him forever. Konami apparently disagrees. because they're, Right. Because they have said, we're still going to make Metal Gear games. Of course, we're, we're probably looking at some mobile game or some free-to-play shit. You know. Uh, it, it's like, you know... And the rumor mill suggests that, you know, the is being forced out because, well, it's because Metal Gear Solid Five is very expensive, has taken a lot of time and resources, and Konami's basically getting sick of the AAA game. 
Of course, Metal Gear isn't the only thing that's a sacrifice to Kojima leaving. No. Uh, <laughs> and here's the thing. It's like, like all, all the fucking named talent from Konami, they're done. I mean, we all know Koji Igarashi is, you know, he, he's doing a Kickstarter and all that shit, but, like, the people who created uh, Field Plus on the, 3D, uh, on the DS 3DS and uh, Tokimi Memorial, they're gone. Takuchiyama, like, pretty much all their main developers, they're gone. Because, you know, they don't want to be working in the mobile scene. Or their skills are not transferable. Or they know that if they end up working in the mobile scene, they won't be allowed to make like actual good in- innovative video games on the mobile. They'll be asked to work. They'll be asked to work on far- uh, Farmville 3.7. Well, yeah, that's the thing that actually happened. Like uh, after Castlevania got after he got relieved from the Castlevania franchise, Koji Garashi was making mobile games. The thing is, not a single one of his games got published because they were too hardcore. That's the other thing. I know. I know there's some mobile mavens out there who are excited at all these Japanese publishers getting into the mobile game. Here's the thing: these games, they're not going to be innovative pieces of creativity. They're going to be fucking cow clickers designed to extract every last dime from your wallet. That's, you know, I know not all mobile gaming. Students. And it's the fault of the Canadian devil. <laughs> That sly little bastard's at it again. Apparently, he might. Uh, he, he became an oni. <laughs> the Canadian oni. Hold on, may need to work <laughs> this one out. You know. So, and that's kind of the thing. People think Konami has recently been shit. Not really. I mean, Konami's Konami kind of degraded there over the past generation. Like, you know, when was the last time they made a Gradius game? The PlayStation 2 era. You know, you know, you you got the mess that was Silent Hill. I mean, that's kind of the thing. People were excited, genuinely excited for a Silent Hill game in the first time in, like, forever. Because... Well, that that is going to go down in history at this point as one of the greatest games that never got made because you have, like... A great video game designer, a great horror designer who has now pretty much been put off of video games entirely, and then they had an actor who had some chops too, as the, for to be like the main thing. And it's like, uh, well, uh, we kind of that that's not going to be possible anyway. So uh, yeah, we're going to do as everything corporately possible to make it make sure that even the demo of that no longer exists anywhere. Yeah, um, what do they think? Like silent, like people want to play a fucking slot machine with Silent Hill characters? No, like people don't really give a shit about what's on the slot machines. Like, Adam, if you hit the pyramid head with the fi- with fifteen balls, it falls over, and then you get a million points. <sighs> That's kind of the other frustration. <laughs> you know, for for people who want. You know, for people who've been cursing Konami and issuing them death threats, here's the thing: they're not going to die. Konami's actually doing really well financially. Oh yeah, this isn't this is not a financially bad decision. No, this is just a bad decision for the artistic vision of the video game industry and stuff. Right, uh, and you know, and here's the thing: like uh, the, the, the the pachinko stuff. So, like, Konami's uh, putting all the resources to this because, well, they're, you know, apparently Japan might legalize gambling, like, actually legalize it this year. And, you know... Interesting. Well, that has a lot of connotation, kind of beyond the scope of this discussion, because, well, it's technically illegal in Japan, but they get around it in, in various ways. Yes, yeah, you think those pachinko parlors are legal, but they're kind of skirting a lot of things. It's, well, it's, yeah, they have very tricky and innovative ways to get around the gambling. The short form is that you're not allowed to gamble for money, but you're allowed to gamble for tokens and then trade the token and then sell the tokens for money at the totally unaffiliated shop next door. Right. Uh, and uh, wink, wink, wink. Say no more. <laughs> yeah, and it's totally not run by the yakuza at all. Every- 
you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but that's not really what we're focused on. You know, Konami is also like Konami does health and fitness stuff. They have like health spots. Japanese conglomerates are in a lot of things that you wouldn't think of. Yeah, notice the word conglomerate. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, believe me, if we uh, you know, cover the shit that like Namco Bandai is in. Like, did you know they own a pizza parlor franchise? Oh, no way. Those those all-powerful corporations with their fingers and everything from my Japanese animes are not really all that far-fetched, basically. Yeah, it, it, it's like, I know, it's like learning that GE controls Walmart, for example, you know, or, or, or something like that. But that's not, you know, Konami is moving into, like, and burning away, like, the console portion of digital entertainment because, well, here's the thing. And they're not entirely wrong about this. The AAA game is getting bloody expensive. We've certainly talked about this on the show before. That is definitely. What was the one budget of- for for um, Grand Theft Auto Five? Uh, over a hundred million. Of course. Yeah. Here's the thing: Grand Theft Auto Five made its money back, and then some. It's just not everything. Well, oh, yeah, I'm not saying it didn't make its money back. It's just saying that is a lot of money to pump into one game. And, and especially if you lose that, I'll lose out on that. That Alien Isolation disappointed in sales at two point one million. Two point one million isn't disappointing. Two point one million is the size of a small city. Two point one million is like it's like not every fucking game is going to sell six million copies. Assholes. Also, you should be lucky that Alien Isolation sold that much after Colonial Marines. But that, yeah, that this is that really is sort which of which is true. That game's yeah. actually kind of really freaking scary. Look into it, folks. Yeah, wink, wink. But kind of the looming threat in the video game industry is the fact that because of the way technology is progressing, it's getting more and more expensive to make things that live up to the technological standards of what is considered a top of the line game. Yeah. And and with you know this gets into the dissolution of the middle class, the the the, the vanishing of the B tier game, and you know that's why we got the gulf between you know indies and uh, the AAA uh, stuff. On the plus mm-hmm. side, the indies are stepping up. So right, but you know it's like well take the Koji Hirashi Kickstarter. You know it's doing very well in terms of Kickstarter. But, you know, here's the thing. The game's budget is, you know, is going to be chump change compared to what's seen in the AAA game. You know. Well, and they are getting other funding, I believe. Well, the, well, well, like, okay, uh, Wasteland 2, uh, like, Brian Fargo just put out a report about how much that game cost. Six million in total. A third of it came from Kickstarter. Six million is pretty high-end on the indie scene, Six million is is chump change to uh, to the AAA publishers. You know, like game budgets are fucking twenty million, fifty million, a hundred million these days, and that's and that's the game that Konami's getting out of. And I can't entirely blame them for that, because for as risk adverse as these companies are getting. These fucking console games are a huge fucking risk. You know, like, Metal Gear, that, that's one of the few bankable franchises Konami has left active that they haven't ruined or, you know, isn't like, say, you know, something that would never sell 10 million copies in today's age or any age. You know, it, you know shit like Goemon or Parodius, or Sparkster, you know, Vandal Hearts. I could go on. Like, Konami has created so many valuable franchises, and this kind of corresponds to the interview portion of this week's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like all that shit is gone because Konami is not interested in making those games anymore. Or, admittedly, when they did make those kind of games, they kind of sucked. I'm looking at you, Sparkster 2010. Yeah, Rocket Knight. I'm I'm still depressed about that. 
Yeah, which is sad because again, Rocket Knight has potential. I mean, it doesn't have to suck. They just made it suck. Well, yeah, it has yeah. potential, but not when you use climax as your design. <laughs> but you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, and if you want to see the greatest, like the uh, fucking Silent Hill franchise, you know, Silent Hill Homecoming, <clears throat> Silent Hill. Um, I'd, uh, shattered memories. I, yeah. The, I think that was considered to be decent, but not really up to par to the classic Silent Hill. You know, like I, I kind of agree with Yahtzee on that game. It, you know, it's a good psychological thriller, but it's not scary. Also, who is the who is the person who has said, "Let's make the color palette blue"? Like, blue isn't scary. No. Blue can be isolating, but yeah, it's not the most scary. Blue can mean a lot of things, but one of the colors, it, one of the things it can mean that what Yahtzee was going for was the fact that it's kind of more calming in comparison to a yeah. lot of other colors yeah. that are used in horror. Yeah, blue is a calming color. That's why you don't see it in in the horror palettes too often, yeah. except for in all the night, except for in all the day for night shots. Well, yeah, that that that's because they're doing day for night shots. <laughs> uh, but you know, and that that that's the great lamentable loss of Silent Hills. People were fucking excited for this, like genuinely excited, and it got taken away because the because they want to push Kujina out the door because it's not just about money. You don't you know, firing him would be one thing, but you don't get unpersoned like this unless you piss some people off. Like, if Kojima was leaving after Metal Gear Solid Five, that, you know, that, that they wouldn't announce it, but, it, you know, it's a thing that would happen. By taking away all the Hideo Kojima uh, branding, or Hideo, uh, they're saying, you know, your legacy is worth nothing to us. You're, you know, all your branding is worth nothing. You know, it's like, you know, you no longer exist at Konami, except we kind of need you to exist because Metal Gear Solid Five has been expensive as fucking. Oh God, we need to recoup the losses. You know, that, that that's pretty much the state of affairs at Konami, as I understand it. And I do not like slagging on Konami like this because. Unlike, say, EA, who I've always hated, you know, Konami, I, you know, was one of my favorite publishers for a great many years. Konami has an important legacy of franchises and things in gaming history and stuff, and it's kind of sad when they're just saying, "Uh, no, we don't don't need any more of that. Uh, We don't want any of your money unless it comes in a cell phone. Yeah. I just keep thinking of something Jim Sterling has been saying. They don't want any of the money if they can't have all of the money. You know, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the place they've uh, put themselves in as far as the AAA game. Now, the mobile game has its own kind of pitfalls. Like, you know, people are calling it the mobile bubble for a reason. I don't think, you know, like, if, I don't think mobile is a bubble, but it's definitely very volatile. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, take King. They're falling pretty fucking quickly because they're no longer making the obscene amount of profits. Uh, and that's kind of the advantage the tri- the old AAA publishers have over, say, the, the new mobile publishers. They're at, you know, they already have the resources and the infrastructure to make sure they're not a one-trick pony. You know, it's like they don't become the next Rovio. You know, or seemingly King, or you know, insert mobile game publisher that was popular today and is gone tomorrow. Now, it, it's like Sega. Like you know, going back to Sega, they're doing like 46 mobile games. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see how well the, the, the path they've chosen 
will serve them. I'm like, I, but it's not a path I'm very interested in. Honestly, I just think this kind of thing is only going to help fuel the, the uh, well, what's been happening lately with all the indie, with all the former, yeah, big name or auteur developers going from working at big companies to working with smaller studios to make games more the way they want to. Yeah, I, I, I suppose the biggest question mark here is uh, Hideo Kojima because I don't see him going to Kickstarter like he did because, well, quite frankly, Hideo Kojima is a much bigger name. Like, remember, until mm-hmm. the Metal Gear Solid V debacle, his name, you know, it was a Hideo Kojima game, Metal Gear Solid, uh, insert number here. You know, people know him. Well, he could probably even get business as an individual contractor for other game companies. It's kind of like, you know, where is he going to end up next? Like, is he going to end up at, like, Sony? Or is he going to end up at, you know, Nintendo? Uh, You know, Namco Bandai? The list goes on and on. You know, his, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what his post-Konami career is going to be. Much more interesting than than what Konami's fate is going to be. Now, I'm just going to quote somebody on YouTube I saw the other day. Konami's mobile horror strategy just seems to be they forgot how to make good games. You know, outside of, like, Metal Gear Solid Five, apparently. I've never been too much into the Metal Gear series. Right, so on that depressing note, I think that's, uh, you know, unless you guys have some final words you want to say on the effigy of Konami. Uh, I think I got most of the stuff I was saying out. Uh, Petty fan, Ogre, what um, They were, they made some alright games back in the day, but I may start crying if fucking, you know, Metal Gear Free-to-Play comes out where you have to pay for your ammo. And that's just, and here's the thing. Back in the like, uh, Hideo Kojima was actually pretty enamored with iOS and touch devices. Like Metal Gear Touch came out. Granted, that was like seven, eight years ago, but it still came out, and still more interesting than you know, Metal Gear Cow Clicker. Anyway, so that about no, no, no. It, it would it would be Gecko Clicker. Whatever. All, all the mo- all the moves, but it would actually be on theme. Anyway, that about does it for this week. You know, coming up next week, we shall be welcoming all the way from Germany, John Wagner of, uh, or I suppose it's John Va- Jan Wagner uh, of. Uh, Cliffside Productions uh, by way of Nordic Games. We are going to be talking about the recently released uh, Shadowrun game. Not the Shadowrun, uh, not the Hairbrain Shadowrun games, but uh, Shadowrun Chronicles Boston Lockdown. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how you know, Germans handled you know, the city of Boston. Now, as far as our topic of discussion is, uh, don't know yet. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out on Sunday. So until next week, all I can do is wish you good gaming.